Welcome to On the Road to No Place Left. This is Feeney, and I'm driving as we learn to share the gospel, make disciples, and reproduce leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard. This is a great conversation that fits in with my season two. If you remember, I titled season two Co-Vocational Laborers, and the title of the book we're talking about today is Co-Vocational Church Planting. Let's jump in with the author Brad Briscoe to hear more. Brad, thanks so much for joining us. I was uh, just kind of giving your book on a recommendation as I was doing a little research for another project, and I just loved it. The book is Co-Vocational Church Planning, but I'd love for you to just kind of intro yourself, tell us your story, and then how that maybe even leads into kind of why you wrote Co-Vocational Church Planting. Yeah, you bet. Well, it's great to have this conversation with you, Peter. So long story short, I was in the restaurant business with my brother for 13 years, and it was in the midst of that that we both became Christians. I was almost 30 by the time I became a believer. Then I got involved in church planting. We planted a church. And eventually after doing that, I went to work for a group called the North American Mission Board. And I've actually worked for NAM for uh, almost 23 years now. But the first 15 or 16 years, uh, I was what's called a church planting catalyst in Kansas City. And what that means, I just helped to recruit and train and resource and coach church planters. And in the midst of that, I just became more and more convinced that we needed to, uh, in a sense, rethink the nature and essence of the church. And at the same time, I really enjoyed kind of researching and looking into the the cultural shifts that were taking place in North America. And then that just led me to really completely rethink church and how the church engages culture, because I do think we're living in a a rapidly increasing missionary context. And because of that, we have to think a little differently about church and mission. Then about five years ago, I moved into a new role at the North American Mission Board that we just called Director of Bivocational Church Planning. And I knew when I moved into that role that there were a couple of things I wanted to try to accomplish, at least within our tribe or denomination. And one of those things I felt like we needed to change what I would call the biased narrative around bivocationalism. And what I mean by that is I think most people, when they hear the word bivocational, what comes to mind typically, initially at least, is negative. It's like, well, part-time, they can't, you know, the, the leader or pastor can't give their full attention to the church. It's I just think uh, that's not only not biblical, I don't think it's helpful. So I, I wanted to try to help change that narrative. And there's multiple ways to do that. Part of it is I think we need to tell stories of bivocational planters and pastors. I think we need to talk about the benefits of being bivocational, because I think there are enormous missiological and financial benefits of being bivocational. Then I also felt like we needed to, what I would call, expand the language. So you, Peter, you mentioned the name of that particular book is called Co-Vocational Church Planning. Well, that word co-vocational, a few years ago, like I said, it felt like we needed to expand the language. So we started playing around with different words and we started using the word co-vocational. And we, we can come back and dig into this a little bit more if you want, but I just felt like the word bivocational, in a sense, kind of got in the way of what we wanted to try to see accomplished. So the way I'll describe it sometimes, that I'll say, think of the word bifurcate. To mm-hmm. bifurcate means to take one thing and divide it into two parts. And I think, unfortunately, we do that a lot of times when we think of bivocationalism, that we we bifurcate or we compartmentalize our work in the marketplace and mission or ministry. And once again, I don't think that's helpful. I think we need to find ways to align those two things together instead of compartmentalize them. So think of the word co-vocational. So co comes from the Latin prefix com, C-O-M, which means to have in common or to be together. Mm -hmm. So think of words like 
co-laborer or co-pilot or co-author. It's really about aligning two things and bringing them together. So I still use the language of both BIVO and COVO, but here's the little nuance for me. A bivocational church planter is someone that has a part-time job in the marketplace that they see as temporary. So in other words, their hope or their dream is that the church would grow large enough that they could leave their part-time job and focus full-time on the church. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? It's Apostle Paul, Acts 18, the tent maker, absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I felt like we needed bigger language than that. So when I use the language of co-vocational, the little nuance I explain it like this, a co-vocational church planter is someone that has a primary calling in the marketplace that they never intend to leave. So they know that God has called or wired them to be a school teacher or a web designer or a mechanic or, or an engineer or an architect. And at the same time, they feel like God's calling them to start something. So my hope is that as we talk about the benefits and as we champion uh, people that are out there doing this right now, that we'll actually have more and more bivocational planters become co-vocational. And what I mean by that is that even when the church grows large enough that they could leave their part-time job in the marketplace, they decide to stay because they just see there's too many missiological or financial benefits of being in the marketplace. So they they actually stay there while they plant a church. So lots of implications to, to that. But that's kind of what's led me to where I am now and and just very passionate about planters that are just thinking outside the box. And most of those are are planters that have some kind of engagement in the marketplace. I had basically in some of my own notes almost I'd scribbled down almost exactly how in the book and how you just did kind of define bivocational versus co-vocational. So that was kind of fun to see somebody else going, hey, that see those same thoughts. But I was just curious if any stories come to mind of somebody um, that you could just celebrate, as you said, that you want to lift that up, just uh, somebody you know that's really living that out. Oh, there's literally hundreds of examples all across the country from from planters that are bivocational, lots of planters that are covo. I'll give you an example. Just yesterday, this is the most recent example, just yesterday, had a conversation with a church planter. He's just getting started in San Diego, and he's a police officer, and he's a chaplain in the Navy, mm-hmm. and, he, and he's planting a church. And then because I found out he was in San Diego, I wanted to connect him with a couple other co-vocational church planters that I know. So I emailed and introduced him to another uh, planter in San Diego who's a fireman. And he's been a part of this church for, I guess, probably 10 years now. And he's always been a fireman. So there's just stories like that. I mean, real estate agents from bus drivers to mm-hmm. lots of school teachers. It's a great story of a, church, a school teacher in New York. He's a high school science teacher. He's been been involved in a, a church that he planted probably eight or nine years ago. Lots of business owners, people that own coffee shops and co-working spaces and, and CrossFit gyms. Beautiful story of a guy in Portland, Oregon that opened a CrossFit gym and he planted a church that actually meets in the CrossFit gym. So yeah, just lots and lots of beautiful examples all over North America. Paint some of the benefits of that co-vocational, and then we'll ask the opposite in a little bit of what are, what are some of the challenges. Yeah, so uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I wrote a blog post and because I framed the, the advantages in different ways, but I just thought it might be kind of fun to frame the blog post uh, around five words. So I shared five words in this blog post. And really, if anyone, if you just Googled five reasons to be co-vocational, you'd probably, you'll find this blog post somewhere. But here are the five words that I shared. And then let me just unpack each of these words just real quickly. The five words were missiological, credibility, financial, empowerment, and voice. 
So here's what I mean by that. These are the advantages of being bivo or covo. Missiologically, I just, to put that simply, I'll just say as a bivo or covo church planter, you have access to a mission field that you wouldn't have otherwise. And it's just the reality. Whenever I interview uh, co-vocational leaders around the country, the first question I always ask them is give me the top two benefits of being bivocational or co-vocational. And every single time, this is no exaggeration, every single time, it's always has something to do with the relational connections. Sometimes people will say it in different ways, but it's all about they have app, they have opportunities to, to build relationships with people that would never, ever join one of the programs or activities of their church. So it gives you access to a mission field. The missiological benefits are just, it's just off the chart. So that's that's enormous. The second word, credibility, what I mean by that is I think it gives you great street cred or respectability both inside the church and outside the church. So inside the church, it gives you great respectability because people in the church know that you can you better understand what they're going through Monday through Friday as they're working a job in the marketplace. When they know, even if it's part time, if when they know that you're working, at least, even if it's just 30, 20 or 30 hours a week, especially if you're full time, though, if you're co-vocational, they know that you understand their struggles uh, that they experience throughout the week. But maybe even more important than that, it gives you great respectability or street cred outside the walls of the church. Uh, you know, as you're building relationships with people, instead of leading with I'm a church planter, I'm a pastor of a church, if you can lead with your co-vocational marketplace calling, it just the conversation just moves in a much better direction <laughs> in most places. So that's credibility. The third word is financial. I think it gives uh, just greater financial stability to the church planter. And I'll usually frame this in three different arenas. First off, I'll say it gives greater financial stability to the church planter. Because when the fine the primary uh, financial supports coming from the marketplace, there's just less financial strain on the church planter's family, especially if that marketplace calling provides benefits like insurance, which we, we all know is a huge thing. You know, vacation, any kind of like retirement or annuity, anything like that. So there's a financial stability for the planter. Secondly, I think there's greater financial stability for the church plant. Because if the primary support for the planter is coming from the marketplace, then there's just more resources available for mission and ministry for the church. And then third, I think there's greater financial stability for the, the church planting entity. So like if you're planting with a denomination, uh, most denominations just don't have enough money to plant all the churches that need to be planted. Uh-huh. Uh, so and, and also there are some cities that are just outrageously expensive to live in. And there's just no way you can have a fully funded church planter go into downtown Vancouver or downtown New York or downtown L.A. Uh, so the only way we're going to do that is to plant churches with Bivo Covo leaders. So financial is a third word. The fourth word was empowerment. What I mean by that is when you're Bivo or Covo, everybody in the congregation realizes you cannot do it all. If you're working 30, 40, 50 hours a week in the marketplace. So it just it just creates a culture, an environment where you activate all the people of God. You know, you just have to activate everyone or empower everyone and mobilize everyone to engage in mission. So it just it forces that issue. And the last word is voice. And what I mean by that is, you know, sometimes the church leader has to to talk about difficult issues and topics, both inside the church and outside the church. And I think sometimes when, you know, I just think this is a reality that sometimes when there's difficult topics that need to be discussed, if you, if the if the church leader is afraid they may offend those that may be very large financial givers, mm-hmm. uh, it can just like weaken or lessen the voice of that leader. 
But when your support's coming from the marketplace and it's not your primary support's not coming from the church, I just think it gives uh, the church leader greater freedom to, to, to speak more prophetically. So those are kind of the five words that, that help to summarize uh, some of the benefits of being Bible or Kobo. Well, then, yeah, what about the other side of that? You, the one that jumped to mind as you told the story in San Diego was like, obviously, we've got a time crunch, but maybe there's some other ones. And and even just some potentially quick advice on how, how you've seen people overcome some of those challenges. Yeah, obviously, there's challenges. And once again, when I interview Bibocovo leaders, I, I actually have like eight questions I like to ask them. And the first question is always about the benefits. And then the second one is I'll always ask, what's the top two challenges mm-hmm. and once again <laughs> they're like it's the number one's the same for everybody and it some way it has to do with time management you know we all just have a limited you know we have 24 hours in the day right yeah. and, and how do we how, how can we align you know different aspects of our life from family vocation ministry personal health all of that so no doubt time management is the number one challenge so once again, it's funny, there's more than this, but once again, I don't know why I landed on five, but there, there again, there are like five words that, that I'll use to just uh, kind of encourage Bivocovo planters to, to think about these different areas to try to help overcome that particular challenge. So here are the five words. The first one is, is calendar. So this is super, super simple. And, and most guys, they're already doing this, but I just say, you just got to recognize how a calendar can be such a powerful tool to for effective time management. And the, the key, I think, of using a calendar is that you have to be the one that manages the calendar. It, whenever it's possible, you have to determine what, you know, what meetings and what goes into that one day on your calendar. So I know sometimes we have jobs and we have bosses or supervisors that, that may dictate part of our calendar, but uh, at least some of it we ought to be able to dictate. So, you know, I just encourage guys that don't try to squeeze another meeting into that day if your day is already full, but put it off to the next day or the next week. So just make sure you don't you don't cram each day uh, with too much. And then the second word is priorities. I really encourage guys to use a to do list, you know, make a list of, of what needs to be done that day or that week and make it in such a way that you can move things around like prioritize what's at the top of the list. And, you know, we just have to make sure whenever possible that family and our personal health are at the top of that list. And, you know, ministry doesn't have to be number one. So priorities is a big thing. In fact, before we got started, uh, Peter, you mentioned Hugh Halter and Alton. Hugh wrote a little book called Bivo a few years ago, and he he gives a really good uh, description of of that uh, that uh, metaphor or analogy that that's been around for a long time, but it's about the the jar and you put the big rocks in first and then the medium rocks and then the little rocks and the big rocks need to be family and personal health, uh, in my opinion. So if people want to dig into that a little bit more, you might check out uh, Hughes Vivo book. Then the third word is distractions. I just think, especially in this, uh, you know, socially networked world that we live in with smartphones and social media, uh, we, we have to be diligent about eliminating distractions. That means doing things with your social media. It might mean muting, muting or blocking certain people that uh, stress you out or you know suck you into foolish arguments. It might mean that you take a, a sabbatical or a break from social media for for a few weeks or a few months. Just any distractions that you notice or you know kind of sucks you into 
getting off of your priorities for that day or that week. I think we need to be mindful of distractions. The fourth one is what I just call margin. Here's what I mean by this is that I, I think it's really helpful for us to have some common shared language that we can share with with people in our church, maybe the congregation as a whole, but certainly with our, our leadership team or staff. And I think margin is, is a really good example of this common shared language. And if, if people aren't familiar with the language of margin, it comes from a book. Uh, he's a Christian psychiatrist by the name of Richard Swinson. He wrote this book like 30 years ago, but it's been revised and updated. But I just think this is a beautiful metaphor. And it just gives us language to think about our schedules and our, 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 uh, our, our day and our week. And here's, here's the metaphor. Uh, Swinson says, you can take any book. It doesn't matter how big the book is, how many pages it has, and you can open to any page in that book. And you would never see the words on the page go all the way to the left side, the right side, the top or the bottom. That instead, around every single page of every single book, we have this white space called a margin. And he uses that as a metaphor to say our lives have to have margin. We need financial margin, relational margin. We especially need time margin. So in other words, I think it's really helpful language where we can ask each other, do you have margin in in your day today? Or do you have margin in your schedule this week? And if you don't, how are you going to carve out margin? We, we can't just constantly be adding things to an already overburdened life that, that we need to make sure there's space in there uh, for margin. So that, that's the fourth word. And then the last word, this is super simple. It's just team. What I mean by this is that everyone would agree that anytime someone plants a church, it's best for you to plant a church with a team. But if you're Bible or Kovo, there is no other option. You just, you have to have a team. I'm a big proponent of uh, what's called, uh, referred to a lot of times as APEST, A-P-E-S-T. It's an acronym from Ephesians chapter four that just means apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. I think we ought to really create what I would call APEST or five-fold church planting teams. So I think our teams need to be organized around giftings. And that's what really the Ephesians 4 passage is all about. So we don't have time to dig into all that. But I think if if time management is an issue, and, and it is uh, for any Bible leader, you have to have a team. And then you have to try to operate in your gifting. So if you're a gifted teacher, then you can focus on the teaching aspect of of that church plant. And then you and then you just have to give up or or allow people with the, the let's say the shepherding gift to focus on shepherding the congregation or the flock. So I think when we have a fully functioning team, it allows us to operate within our sweet spot or our gifting, and we can empower other people to to operate in their gifting. It's just the only way you're going to be able to do it if you're working 30, 40, or 50 hours a week in the marketplace. So those are a few few just kind of suggestions or things we can do to try to overcome the time management issue. I mean, as you're reminded, even as you're sharing those from reading the book, I, what I really enjoyed about the book when I got into it, it was like, man, this is just so rich with principles, really for any life in ministry um, that we need to live by. I mean, just some of those things that you already mentioned of the big rock analogy or the margin analogy. Here's a bonus question I thought of. You had a great, great chapter about third spaces and you, we, and you can define that. But then what I've observed about third spaces since COVID has been like, man, do those exist anymore? Like, so I just would love to know any further thoughts about that. We've all walked through the COVID journey and, and are looking for ways to connect with people. So I would love to kind of hear your thoughts on that. 
Yeah, man, that's a great question, Peter. And man, that is an enormous uh, conversation. I think that's it. I mean, just it, there's a lot we could talk about here, but I also think it's enormous as it relates to importance. There's a chapter in the Kovo book on this. And then also a buddy of mine and I wrote a book probably three years ago called Next Door as It Is in Heaven. And I've got a pretty robust chapter in that book about third spaces or third places. So just give a little bit of background that actually comes from. Uh, a book that was written about 30 years ago by a sociologist. His name was Ray Oldenburg. And he wrote a book called The Great Good Place. And the book is really all about third spaces and third places. So so what's interesting, though, is in that book, I remember reading this. I mean, I probably read the book 20 years ago. And there was a little phrase that he coined in the book. Then the very first time I read that this sentence, I just remember thinking, wow, that would be a great way to frame what it would look like to live out a missionary lifestyle. And here was the phrase that he coined. He talks about our first, second, and third places. Mm -hmm. So if anyone's ever heard that little phrase, first, second, and third place, uh, that comes from Ray Oldenburg 30 years ago from the book, The Great Good Place. But here's what he meant by that phrase from a sociological perspective. First place is where you live. Second place is where you work. And third place are places of neutrality or common ground where people go to hang out. And when he wrote the book 30 years ago, there were like hangout places all over the place. But the point of the book is he was saying because of the way we live, the way we we create the suburbs and the way we've zoned out uh, certain retail spaces, he was saying that we were actually kind of like sucking the relational vitality out of the places we live and we were losing third places. Well, mm-hmm. I, I think, I mean, probably 10, 12, 15 years ago, most urban planners recognize that. They realize that our suburban uh, communities no longer had those spaces. So they started zoning them back in. So I actually think we're in a better place now than we were. Uh, but you're right, COVID uh, made that very difficult for a time. But I think those they've come back. And in the book, in the I mean, in the Next Door as It Is in Heaven book, I write, write about both typical and atypical third places. So what I mean by this is that a typical third place is how Oldenburg would have defined it. And he had a very, he had eight characteristics to clearly define what he believes would be a third place. But I think there are also atypical third places. So a typical third place would be the coffee shop, the cafe, the pub, the beauty parlor, the barber shop. It's where people would go really to hang out and, and, and build relationships with each other. But I think it's helpful for us to think about atypical third places. So they're places that wouldn't fit Oldenburg's perfect definition, but they're places still that we go to on a regular basis. And if we're intentional, they can create relational opportunities for us. So like the fitness gym, you know, any kind of the YMCA or the gym, fitness center, uh, CrossFit, whatever it might be, people don't go there to hang out. <laughs> you know, they go there to exercise and work out. But if we go there on a regular basis, we all know you begin to see the same people, you know, just creates relational opportunities. I think there's lots of places like that. We just have to be intentional about it. So, yeah, I do think there was a time where COVID has made that more difficult. But I think we're we're getting back, you know, to where those places are, are you know, more they're socially accepted to enter into those places now. And like I said, I just think they give us an amazing opportunity to build relationships because it. Uh, yeah, a little phrase I use all the time is more and more people are less and less interested in the programs and activities of the church. And if that is true, and I think it is, then we need to find other opportunities to connect with people relationally. And I just think third places are probably the single best opportunity for us to do that. Yeah, I really love how you frame that as a as a church planner, co-vocational or not, we need to actually start thinking more missionary focused. If 
most places do not need somebody to start a Sunday service. They need people right. to go engage the lost. So I, if you want to dive into that just for a second, I feel like that's just a really helpful piece that you framed in the book. Right. Uh, another little phrase I use all the time with planters is I'll say, we need to help church planters think less like a pastor starting a Sunday morning worship service and more like a missionary engaging a context. Mm-hmm. So that's just what you're referring to there, Peter, is just think in an increasing missionary context, we need to start with missionary behaviors and activities. Like you said, we need to think like a missionary. We need to engage the context of where God sent us, where we live, where we work and where we hang out. And we can work towards the Sunday morning gathering. I'm not anti-Sunday morning gathering. I would just say we can't start there. The the day is way gone, way past where we can rent a space and, you know, set up a hundred chairs and send out flyers and, and do a sermon series to attract people to that Sunday gathering. Anybody that we attract to that Sunday gathering, if we start like that, we just have to admit they're all they're already Christians. Yeah. There there aren't any lost people that are just waiting for another Sunday morning worship service uh, for them to go and visit or attend. Right. So that's why we have to start uh, by thinking like a missionary. Again, we can get to the Sunday morning gathering. We just need to be careful not to start there. Let's just see in the pathway. We we want to see <laughs> gatherings of believers all over, but. If we start with that, we're not going to get there or we're not going to impact lostness as we do. How how can people connect with you if they want to just stay connected to some of these thoughts and even blog posts that you've mentioned? Best place to start is uh, there's just a personal blog that I do. Uh, I actually took a sabbatical from that for some time, but uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I've kind of re-engaged there and there's just lots of different free resources there. And uh, the blog is just missionalchurchnetwork.com. Other than that, I use social media quite a bit. Twitter's probably the best. My Twitter handle is just Bradley Briscoe and Briscoe is without an E. It's B-R-I-S-C-O. So yeah, probably just follow me on Twitter. I, I Really, I use Twitter. 90% of it is for ministry resourcing, uh, you know, just... Anytime I read something or run across a video or even or when I do a new blog post, I'll usually share it on Twitter. So either Twitter or the blog, personal blog. Great. I just want to give you the floor um, just on the topic. And, and I've already heard a lot of what's on your heart, but just whether it's a challenge to somebody that'd be listening or um, just to, as you've continued to try to reset that conversation. But just kind of feel free to kind of wrap up with just sharing a, a challenge or, or what's on your heart in this topic. Well, I'd probably just go back to the the whole idea of of thinking like a missionary. I, and I guess the way that kind of starts is be, beginning to better see and understand that God has sent you where you are for a purpose. Mm-hmm. So you live where you live for a purpose. You work where you work for a purpose. You hang out in the social, social spaces that you hang out for a purpose. So see that God has sent you there. You've already been sent. But then the second thing I would say, I'm a big proponent of what I would call incarnational mission that we need to embed our lives in the gospel into those places that God has sent us. So in in other words, we need to allow the incarnation of Jesus to inform our posture to the places where God has sent us. And when we really do that, we'll put down roots, we'll stay. More than anything, we'll take responsibility for the places that God has sent us. And I just think it changes everything. I mean, when you really start to look at your neighborhood and your neighbors and to say, hey, God sent me here for a purpose, I'm going to begin to take responsibility for my neighborhood, or I'm going to begin to take responsibility for my workplace where God has sent me to work. Uh, I'm going to start asking, what does it look like for me to be a good neighbor not just in my neighborhood, but what does it look like for me to be a good neighbor in my workplace? Mm -hmm. So, and then as we've already talked about, Peter, social space is the same way. When you enter into any social space, just pay attention, be a good listener, be a great observer, 
try to pay attention to where, where's God already at work? What is he already doing? And then ask with a sense of humility, how does he want me to participate? So I, I do think uh, just entering into these places with a, a great sense of humility is so important. When we enter in with humility, we we enter in, uh, again, by being a great listener, a great observer, a great, just be a learner, and then ask the Lord, how does he want me to partic- participate? How does he want me to lean into what he's already doing? For links to several of the books that Brad mentioned, check out the show notes at ontheroad.link. That's ontheroad.link. I also encourage you to check out Season 2 of On the Road to hear several inspiring stories of co-vocational laborers that are pursuing the multiplication of disciples and churches. This is Feeney. Thanks for listening. The On the Road podcast is to encourage you and your church to share the gospel, make disciples, and reproduce leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard.